Welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast. My name is Langsha Klingensmith, and today we are joined by Chad Anselmo. Chad graduated from the David Eccles School of Business in 2000 with a degree in finance and marketing before returning for his MBA. He, along with his wife, Kristen, are generous supporters of experiential learning through Lasan and have contributed time and money to programs like Get Seated, Utah Entrepreneur Challenge, and the Adventure in Gear Floor at Lasan Studios. With over 15 years of fintech experience, Chad is currently Chief Executive Officer at F1 Payments in Austin, Texas. He has had the opportunity to participate in a dozen merger and acquisition transactions, as well as three payment company exits. Most importantly, Chad describes himself as a husband and father to a perfect wife and four active boys. He is an adventurer and an avid University of Utah fan. Welcome to the podcast, Chad. Thanks, Linda. We are so excited to be talking to you today, and we are so excited to kick off season two of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast talking about perseverance, and we just couldn't think of a better guest to kick things off with than you. Wow, it sounds like I've had all the trials in my life. I don't think it's that, but just all the things that you've been able to accomplish are surely not without much perseverance and jumping through all sorts of hoops. You're an entrepreneur. It comes with the territory, right? That is very true. <laughs> to kick things off, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself, your background, and your connection to the Eccles community? I started at the University of Utah back in 1996. At the time, I was an architecture student, actually. And that didn't work out. And so I quickly packed up my locker at architecture school and <laughs> walked over to the nearest building, which just happened to be the business building. Lucky <laughs> and, us. Uh, I know. And, and so, yeah, then started my lifelong love of business. I graduated in December. And so at the time, they're like, hey, if you go another six months, you get a finance degree as well. And I'm like, well, no one graduates in December anyway. So yeah, might as well go get a well. finance degree. Yeah, that was the start. I was actually one of the founders of the venture fund there with Jared, and then also was a participant in the student investment fund under Liz. And so jumped in both feet first, absolutely loved the school and what they were trying to do. And I think that's what lent itself so well to what we try to do now as donors and supporters. My wife was a communications major. And so as she just the next building over as well, so we had a really tight community. <laughs> That's and fantastic. So we got married uh, my senior year, and then we went off and started working for a venture capital fund there in Utah. And they offered to pay for my MBA if I went to do my MBA work at the University of Utah. Oh, wow. Now, unfortunately, the timing was 2001, and that venture fund went belly up. So we continued the studies and finished earlier than anticipated. And then graduated in 2001 in December with the MBA. Oh, that's great. So did you and your wife meet on campus then? We did. We did meet on campus. Yeah. We're, oh. uh, we actually met over at the Institute right across the street. Oh, awesome. So you are a Utah man through and through. We love it. We oh. have many prominent displays of our Utah lure inside our house. <laughs> What's your favorite? Utah Lord. Well, I have a giant U that I display in my office. And then whenever any of our members from the BYU community come over to our house, we serve them on University of Utah plateware. 
<laughs> gotta do what you gotta do, right? That's right. So you transitioned from architecture to business, right? And from what I understand, when you first graduated, were you in the entertainment industry originally? Actually, you guys are much better at this now than when I graduated. But when I graduated, there wasn't a whole host of people trying to find you jobs afterwards. And because I graduated also in December in the year 2001 and the financial collapse happening all around us, we actually had no jobs coming out of college. I had I didn't have a job offer inside Utah. So my wife and I, we packed up and we went down to Southern California and we took the first jobs that we got an offer for. So I was a credit collections analyst at Universal Studios, which is a fancy way of saying that I called people up and said, hey, you owe our company money. When are you going to pay? <laughs> I tried my venture capital days, but that didn't go very well. That company went okay. belly up. And so that's why I had to go back down to Southern California to get a job there. I remember I was gotcha. making $17 an hour as an MBA grad. Um, oh, so wow. there you go. Probably the first lesson life is you just got to jump in and take what you can take. And, and sometimes that's what you don't think you're worth, but you know, you get in there. And actually I worked really hard at that job and uh, I got applied for me by my boss to be a financial analyst at oh, Universal wow. Studios. I didn't even know that she applied for me to take that role, but I got the role and then stayed inside entertainment finance for about two or three years, and then, then got picked up by Experian, their credit reporting company. So that started my fintech experience, and then uh, worked my way up to be global controller of Experian, and then was asked to be CFO of a payment company in Southern California. We sold that one to Optimal Payments, and then I got asked to be CFO of all their payment units, and then left that shop in January of 2018. And we started F1 Payments with me and a former colleague. Okay, so you just kind of hit the ground running after that. It's interesting. I listened to Tim Ferriss as a podcast guy. And he has this little saying when he interviewed someone, which is your luck quotient is your ability to be able to develop this platform. And your platform gets bigger and bigger with hard work so that luck is able to land on top of it and be able to stop. Interesting. As you work hard and as you really try to explore what you're able to do, then luck will find you, I think. One of the ways that you have worked hard to build your platform is through F1 Payments. Can you tell me more about F1 Payments, what that is, and your role there? Yeah, so I'm a CEO of F1 Payments. We provide merchant processing for tougher-to-place merchant industries and be able to use our banking relationships to be able to place these people so they can do merchant processing usually online. We are a risk platform that uses risk heuristics to be able to monitor and to be able to give tools to merchants to be able to analyze and manage their processing. Interesting. So when you say tougher, what kind of clients are you talking about there? What industries? We service a whole bunch of industries that typically would have a tougher time. So when I say tougher, I mean either their credit worthiness or the type of industry that they're in lends itself to have a tougher ability to be able to accept it from a credit policy. And okay. we've developed models so that we can show different banks that while their credit profile is not the greatest, we can manage it and be able to show through life cycle whether they're succeeding or whether they're failing at their attempt to process payments. And we can identify these things early on so that no one takes losses. How has business been during the pandemic? Has it transitioned at all? Have there have been more companies who are struggling with that that are coming to you for help. 
Yeah, it's been amazing. Not to wish ill on anyone through the COVID experience, but we've been extremely blessed. Our company has tripled in size over the last wow. year and a half. And typically we have more clients in a given month than we can place at the banks that we have. So we turn away a lot of business. Oh, wow. That's incredible. You mentioned that you've brought on a lot of new employees. How have you been communicating with them that culture that you look to have at F1 payments? Everything's so crazy. How did you maintain that? Yeah, that was tough, right? Because none of us have gone through a pandemic before. I mean, maybe people who did like 100 years ago is the Spanish flu, but I wasn't around then. And most of us <laughs> business leaders weren't around then. So we were navigating from a new experience. And it required constant interviewing with our employees to make sure that they were comfortable with what we were doing, talking to our vendors, talking with some of our merchants to make sure that, you know, we're delivering support. One key metric was productivity throughout the entire experience. And we determined that productivity was just fine from working from home versus working in through the office. And so we've had a very flexible policy since then. If you feel comfortable coming into the office, come into the office. We'd love to see you. If you feel more comfortable being at home and working at home and not having to brave commute, then stay at home and do that. It's free to be you. And so you make what you want your experience to be. Now, having said that, we have accountability. So no one gets a free pass on making sure they get their job done. But yeah. really, we want people to feel comfortable and be able to feel like they have the best opportunity to be able to be successful. Oh, that's so interesting. Would you say the majority of your employees then are at home, are coming in, a good mix of both? About a third of our employees come into the office on a regular basis. And then about another third, they pop in from time to time, maybe once a week for a couple of meetings here and there, or they'll come in as an entire department to have a brainstorming session or work together. And then about a one third of our employees are still cautious and yeah. haven't returned to the office yet. And all of the groups have a meaningful contribution to us being successful. And so we appreciate all their individuals. Absolutely. What was your work from home policy before the pandemic? Yeah, so this is a paradigm shift for me. Before the pandemic, I was very much, if you're not in the office, you're not working kind of person. And I admit that I think now a lot of people was, were. Yeah, and, and I was tough about it too. And I think this has shown all of us and opened our eyes up to that doesn't have to be the norm, that people can be productive while being home. Now, because I'm the father of four boys who are at home, <laughs> I am not productive at home. So I come into the office. <laughs> Can't blame you there. Can't blame you there. F1 has been widely recognized. You've received numerous awards for being one of the best companies to work for both in Austin and Texas as a whole. What do you attribute that success to? Oh, that's our employees. Yeah. When we got nominated as the number one place to work in Texas by Texas Monthly last year in the medium-sized business category, we were thrilled to death. And then Austin came behind us and recognized us as one of the top ones as well. Just great achievements. And that's all our employees right there. They send a survey out to all the employees. I don't even get to participate. And they take their temperature on what it's like to work at F1 Payments. And so that's their voice. And so I can take no credit for that. That is all of our employees. What an absolute honor. You are competing with some big companies, some really incredible companies. And to receive that award just that had to have just been such an incredible feeling i was a little giddy 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. I'm going to back up a little bit to talk a little bit more about perseverance. What does it mean to you to persevere? Yeah, so to me, that's a journey. And I think all of us are going through that in our lives. None of us, obviously, here have reached that final state of nirvana. And so we're all persevering through something. And as we think about you know, the obstacles in front of us, how do we build and maintain tools to be able to look at how effective and efficient we are, as well as how much we're contributing to our relationships in our lives? And that to me is what perseverance is, taking a step back, looking at your guideposts, making sure that you're between them, and then continuing on on that journey of trying to get to your goals. That's great. Can I ask what may be the biggest obstacle you've worked through maybe in your life or your career is when you had to have perseverance? Personally, and I still have this, it's doubt. Whether you're good enough, whether you have the skills necessary to be able to do this, whether you're the right person for this job, I think those still happen. The mental toll on an entrepreneur is huge. And everyone kind of experiences this. You don't have to be an entrepreneur to experience this as well. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have job fatigue or imposter syndrome or whatever they're combating. But we all have that moment where we're like, wow, am I up for this challenge? Can I scale this mountain? Am I good enough? Am I strong enough? And that's something that we all have to persevere through. And I still have that kind of dilemma and debate on a frequent basis. Oh, absolutely. And recognizing that Everybody kind of deals with that in some way or another. We're all trying to overcome those challenges. What tools or strategies do you use when you're facing those things that maybe you don't feel like you're up to the challenge? Yeah, I'm a heavy goal person. And so I'll look at my goals and what I'm trying to accomplish. And if I'm striving in the right linear path towards those, and I feel like my relationships are strengthening, then I think, okay, I'm getting through this. It's okay. It's okay to have doubts as you're getting through this life struggle, as long as you're going towards that goalpost. But sometimes when you get a little bit off that, that's where the tools and procedures and what you put in place in your life come into play. Sometimes, you know, I'll just get way too busy with things that are outside my influence. And so I'll have to cut back on things I say yes to. And that's really difficult, right? Because as humans, we just want to say yes to everything. It gives us that sense of importance and drive and sense of community is to say yes. And so I have to say no. And, and that hurts sometimes because you're closing a door. And some of these causes are great causes that you should be involved in because they're helping your community or your humanity. But you have to say no just because there's only so many hours a day. Absolutely. Well, and sometimes saying no in one area can allow for a bigger, potentially better yes in another or more time that you can dedicate to another. So uh, that is... That's absolutely right. And especially as we get higher and higher careers, as well as in our station of life, we have more and more forces dragging us farther and farther away from the things that we think are important, like our families. Yeah. And if you consistently say yes to things, like I remember probably three or four years ago, I was saying yes to a lot of things. And I found that I was only at home Sunday evening. And even Sunday evening was just me trying to get ready for the next week, going through emails to make sure I was cleared out or traveling to a new location or whatever. And that's because I just kept on saying yes and yes and yes. And so I had to start saying no a little more often so that I could spend time with my goalpost, which is my family. 
and being able to spend more time with them. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully you've been able to spend a little more time with them, especially over the last year and a half through all this global pandemic craziness. (laughs) Amazing how when I came to that realization, I had to say no more that the world decided to say no for me. (laughs) (laughs) Just gave you a gentle nudge in that direction, a little helping hand. Absolutely. Much appreciated. Uh, Many of us learn the value of perseverance from those around us. And you mentioned earlier, it's a journey, perseverance, right? It's not just one specific event. When did you maybe witness perseverance paying off? I mentioned when I graduated my MBA, I took a job for $17 an hour as essentially a collector for Universal Studios. The thing that gets a lot of people is they take their snapshot and they think where they are now or that one snapshot is enveloping of where they're going to go or what they've done. And that's not true. Perseverance is a journey in my mind. And so it was easy for me to say, I spent all this money on my MBA. I spent all this time on my education. I did all these neat things with this university. And here I am making $17 an hour. Like that clearly didn't pan out. Let's stop the charade and just accept my fate. But I didn't. I decided that $17 was going to allow me to have a better future. So I was going to put everything I could into showing that I was worthy of that $17. And I quickly automated several different things that they were doing by hand. I took our credit policy from taking four days to approve to under four hours and then got all of our AR down to a rate that we were actually only having about 10 days average AR. And so I could have accepted my fate and just said, all right, I'm just going in for my $17 an hour and this will be my life. Instead, I automated so much that that's why my boss decided to promote me out of it is she was worried that I was going to automate her entire team out from underneath her. And then every single time that I've gotten into a job, it's just been like, how can I automate my way out of this job? How can I make this easier for my employer? I think your career path is a giant perseverance, Mark. I think family is probably the other perseverance. We all get this idea that when we get married or when we start a family, that that's the crowning jewel. But it's not. Like Things get better. Things get worse. Things happen. And you have to move through those and have to continue to work at it. It's work. Yeah, it's hard work. It's more than just the party and the ceremony when you get married or the day you get your first job. It's definitely a journey. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank those who have given back to the Eccles School this year. More than 2,000 alumni and friends around the globe have supported the Eccles School and our students during this pandemic year. Your support helped us pivot quickly and keep students on track, pursuing their dreams of a college degree. Throughout the season, we'll talk more about the impact of giving to the Eccles School and how every gift makes a huge impact. So thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners and supporters for encouraging and inspiring the next generation of doers. One of the core values of F1 payments is hope. And I really think that plays into perseverance in a lot of ways, right? You can persevere, but some days you need hope to see that light at the end of the tunnel and what's on the other side of all your perseverance, all of your hard work. How do you feel that hope and perseverance have played a role in your success and in your life? Yeah, I'm so glad you picked hope 
out of our core values is the one to talk about. Hope is our most debated core value. Out of all of our core values, we all talk about, but hope gets debated about whether or not it should be a core value. And I'm enthusiastically on the side it has to be a core value. Hope is, I think it's germane to everything we're trying to accomplish. Like we hope for a good outcome. We hope to be able to make it. We hope to be able to have the success. We, we hope for all these things. Now we put in places good things to be able to allow us to be able to accomplish those things, either processes or people or relationships or whatever to be able to accomplish it. But at the end, it, I think it's hope that drives humanity. Yeah. And it's a word that I love having in our core values because I think hope allows us to be able to take a step back and go, not everything's perfect, but I hope it will be. And I'm putting in the effort to make sure it is. But at the end, hope is what's driving me. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you can only do so much. And at there's some point, there's always a line in the sand where you just have to hope that all your hard work, all your preparation was enough. That's absolutely right. I mean, we can't control every variable in our life. It's just impossible. You cannot control every variable. And so there's going to be outside influences on you. And that hope is what kind of gets us through is that we're going to make it and we're going to be able to persevere and get there. So I'm so glad that, you know, our topics of perseverance today, it just seemed so relevant to what we stand for as F1 payments. And then also me personally is we have to continue on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. Can you share the other core values of F1 payments for our listeners? Yeah, so we have two others, which are integrity and accountability. Those are very heavy values when we think about them on the scale, right? Accountability has definite ways to measure and to achieve. Integrity has absolute measures to achieve and to be able to succeed. And so those are very heavy, heavy values. And so hope is the other side of that that allows us to lighten the values a little bit to make it more human. And so that we're not just all charging, let's do this 100% of the time, go kill the competition. That's, there's a humane aspect to it as well. <laughs> yeah, and it can't be measured. You can't put necessarily a value or restrictions on hope. It's very fluid, I guess. I think that all three have to be there. To have accountability without integrity and hope means that you're going towards results that are maybe achieved through non-good non measures, right? Non-positive yeah. measures. To have integrity without accountability and hope means that you're not achieving. And then to have hope without integrity and accountability means that you're not doing. And I know the Echo School loves the doing message. Yep. And so it rings true to all of us, not just obviously in, in F1 payments, but I think it rings true to us as all as individuals. Absolutely. You guys talk about your company being a family in some sense, and families have hope. And I think that's just a really wonderful way to integrate that. Yeah, the family thing is an interesting dynamic. There's been a lot of debate recently in the business community about whether or not families are appropriate for the workplace. And some have started to go towards maybe we're a team or maybe we're a collective of individuals succeeding for a common purpose to really just throw it out there. Yeah. And so I think we continue to debate whether our family is the right environment to propagate. But it feels like family because we depend upon each other. We're there for each other. We like to think that when it matters most, we'll make decisions that are best for each other. And that's what a family gets you there. Now, the difference between our family and the other families is we drafted you. We want you to be here. You're not just born in there by some fate of chance and or predestination. We all want to be here together. 
And we made that yeah. choice to be here all together. And so it's probably why some people adopt the team manifestation versus the family. That's an interesting way to put it. And I do feel like the debate over family in the workplace has heated up a little bit, especially over the pandemic, maybe a little bit as we got so spread apart and the workplace dynamics shifted so much. So it wasn't that, oh, let's go grab a coffee or go out to lunch to maintain that team feeling and camaraderie. It was all over Slack all of a sudden and Zoom. How did you encourage your employees to stay connected? Yeah, our number of channels on Slack increased exponentially during COVID. We have a dog channel, we have a cat channel, we have a board game <laughs> channel, we have an online video game channel. All these different channels started springing up of all these people who wanted to share what they were working on and what they were doing outside the working environment. Help them come together, not as a community within the work environment, but a community online and give support through that time. And we actively encourage it. And now what's happened is all these different channels have started to meet outside of just online. The dogs lovers are all getting together and the cat lovers are all getting together. And the people who love board games are starting to come out and play board game nights. And the people who love movies are starting to go into the movie theaters. And so everything is starting to happen. I think it's really nice that they develop this bond online and then went offline with it. Yeah, it's nice to be able to finally make that transition back to a somewhat more more normal way of connecting with one another. Absolutely. It'd be really interesting to see how history relates this time in our lives in 20 to 30 years, how they characterize what we went through. Yeah, absolutely. And I caught myself thinking so many times during the pandemic, really over the last year, we had the election, we had the pandemic, we had crazy weather and you name it. I feel like it happened in 2020 and the start of 2021. And I felt this is historic. This is history. And trying to think of how I wanted to look back on it and how I handled myself. And it's just interesting to be living through something like this right now. Yeah, we've had so many interesting events that have either created the ability to be divisive or to be together. And this is where I think in 20 to 30 years, it'll be interesting to see how history treats us is, did we come together through all the adversity or did we become individuals through all the adversity? Back to the perseverance kind of tagline. There's so many things in our lives that we could all point to and say, I'm not like that person because. I think the challenge is to find the humanity in all of us and say, I'm like that person because. I have this weird habit that when I'm at stoplights, I look to the person to the right or to the left of me. And I always try to imagine, man, what shoes are they putting on right now? What are yeah. they going through? It's so interesting and probably disrupting other aspects of their lives because they're dealing with something. And that's hard. Last week, as a F1 Payments, we went to go volunteer for Caring Hope. And Caring Hope provides backpacks to people who are going through an adoption scenario or to a foster care scenario. So as they're leaving their home currently, they're given these backpacks so that when they arrive at the new home, they're not going with nothing. So they typically have yeah. a change of clothes, an activity, some toiletries, you know, diapers and wipes if it's a kid, other things if it's older kids. And as you think about it, I just kept coming back to what are these kids going through as I'm packing these packs, amazing struggles in these kids' lives. We were packing four-year-old boys' packs, and we have a four-year-old boy right now. And I'm thinking, man, if he was yanked out of a home and what he had to go through, what would serve for this backpack as giving him hope? That's a heavy thing that's going on in their life, and we're just trying to help out as where we can. 
Yeah. So often, especially as we get so busy, it's easy to focus inward and focus on ourselves, all the things that are going on in our own lives, things that we have coming up or to-do lists. But the idea of looking over at someone at a stoplight or sitting in a restaurant, looking around you at everybody in the thought, everybody has just as much going on and potentially much harder things that they're trying to persevere through right now is just a really interesting way to shift that focus a little bit. Yeah, we're all humans. We're all going through things. We're having events. We're having joys. We're having successes, but we're also having things that are hurting us. And how can we make it easy on each other and not exacerbate that problem? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You have been involved with Lausanne Entrepreneurship Institute. You mentioned as a student, and now you've continued your involvement as an alum. You have generously supported so many programs there. What inspired you to stay involved with Lasan and to give back in such a huge way? Yeah, we really love the Get Seated program and what it stands for. And I think you mentioned that one. And in fact, when they had a major sponsor drop out this year, we were able to make up the additional funds so that everything continued on like clockwork. And we're just huge supporters in that because that is helping other people as they're going through their struggles, right? These students are trying to either develop prototypes or get a marketing strategy or get an app or get some counseling on their legal status or be able to go through a trademark or whatever they're dealing with. And they're students, they're not trust fund babies. They're students who are trying to do all this while going through school and studying. And if we could help out in a small way from allowing them not have to worry about the monetary aspects of it, then we've done our part. And small businesses and startups are the backbone of what our economy is built on. And so if we can get these up and running and going and contributing to the community and to society, then we've done our job as stewards because it's for the next generation that we're really doing this. Yeah, the next generation of doers, that, as we like to say at that goal school. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the fact that you guys have that tagline. I think you guys rolled it out about 10 or 15 years ago, if I remember correctly. Yeah. That, you know, the, the doers wanted. And I love that because you know, so many people like to say, well, I'm a great thinker, but great thinkers are wonderful and they're, they have their place, but it's the doers that get things done that allows us to be able to progress. Yeah, and so I love the doers wanted. I think we'll keep it. We love it. And I think it attracts a really great student, a student who's not willing to only, you know, they're willing to think, but they're also willing to get into it and to persevere through the entrepreneurial trials and all sorts of things. Yeah, I think it's great. What has it been like to see that Lassonde program transform since you were a student? Yeah. So when I was a student, It was small. It it didn't have a place right on campus. It had a classroom. It mapped in every once in a while, and it didn't quite have the presence that it has now. In fact, I wasn't even involved in Lassonde when I was a student. I was involved in the venture fund, which I loved supporting, and I was involved in the investment fund. And I and we were able to, you know, I was one of the first couple students through that program as well. And we were building these great things on that side, but Lassonde just wasn't huge because for whatever reason, but now it has its own space. And now you can go and create and build and talk and consult and mentor all in this wonderful building that's in the heart of the campus, right? It's right in the middle of the campus. You can't miss it. Yeah. And 
I think it's great because now, and I love also the fact that it's not just business students, right? It's engineering students. There was a Get Seated winner the other day who was from the Mines College. Oh, um, no way. I was like, how cool is this? I never would have thought the Mines College would have a place here, but there was a student applying and won you know, money for his idea from the Mines School. And I, I thought that was so great that here we are involving all the different majors all over the university and not just the ones that are coming from the Garf building or from the Eccles building or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. What do you hope it looks like in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I hope that it starts to become a central point in campus. People go, oh, am I going to the Union or am I going over to Lausanne? It's just a cool place to hang out and there's a vibe there and everyone wants to be part of it and it gets great events, great ratings, but also it becomes a great community where people just want to hang out because they know there's something exciting going on. You could feel the energy. You walk in and people are walking around and they're talking and they're working at the co-working space in there and there's the little food truck. They're, it's just infectious to be in Lausanne. I love it. Every single time I visit Utah, I always spend a couple hours in the Lausanne Center. And I do it because I just love just sitting there and listening to the ideas that are going forth and the passion that people have about what they're bringing to the community is amazing. Oh, absolutely. As an entrepreneur yourself, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs, those students in the Lausanne building, people just getting involved now that maybe they're struggling, they're at a turning point trying to decide, do I persevere? Do I stick with it? Entrepreneurial life just throws endless hoops at you. What advice do you have? Probably number one is take care of yourself first, mentally and physically. It's a long journey you're going to have. If you don't is the old additive, you put your own face mask on first in an airplane, then you start assisting people around you. You have to do that. If you don't take care of yourself first, you're either going to bubble out because you're just going to kill yourself from your work commitments, or you're not going to understand what you're trying to achieve for. So do yourself first, and then also build what is important to you around you and keep those in sight. One of them, of course, is going to be, you're going to want to see success out of your business, but what else do you want to see success out of? What's your why, as we talk about? And make sure your why is what you're passionate about. So that way, when times get hard and times get tough, you'll look at your why and say, yeah, that's a good why. I I really want to do that. Yeah, setting those goalposts and reflecting back on them. But it's hard, right? Because when you're a brand new entrepreneur, all you're thinking about is, I could just get this one customer or if I could just get this one thing right about my product, or hey, if I just get this one employee, it's always the next one, the next one, the next one. And and that's hard because you're always in that mode of being scrappy and fighting. And sometimes you have to be in a little bit of defense mode as well with yourself. Absolutely. And sometimes that's like the beautiful part of entrepreneurship, right? Is that those hurdles, those, okay, one more step and all the exciting doors and opportunities that open from that. And so Maybe also just like soaking it in and enjoying that time of your business and your entrepreneurial journey. Absolutely. There'll be plenty of people who will tell you you're not going to make it. You, you'll be able to write a book about all the names of the people who thought that you were never going to be successful. And so, you know, use that either to fuel you if, if necessary, or use that to be able to go and do the next thing and, and put it out of your head. The one advice I would have is don't let them run space for free. So don't dwell on it. Move past it. If someone doesn't see your vision, it's fine. It's not for them. Move on. Get to the person who does. Get to the consumer who does. Get to the vendor who does. Because they will. 
And when they finally do, then you'll have two people who are three people or four people who are passionate about what you're trying to accomplish. And then you start to build that sense of community and family. And then you can go off and accomplish great things. Absolutely. That hope, it keeps coming back to us in this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's true. And we're doing this because of hope. We're doing this because we have our goalposts. But it's our hope that takes us towards those goalposts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it has just been such a joy to talk to you today, to hear about your incredible entrepreneurial journey and all the things that you're accomplishing. And I like to end my interviews. I am just personally curious. I'd love to hear what people are reading right now, what they've read in the last year, the last few years that like stuck with them. Do you have any good reads, audio books to share? Oh, I, I love reading. And so about three or four years ago, I realized I wasn't reading enough. So I made a commitment to read a number of books every single month. And okay. it, it increases every year. So now I'm on the three books a month, which seems like probably nothing. My no. wife reads probably 120 to 150 books a year. So she's a voracious Oh my reader. gosh, that's incredible. Yeah, she is incredible. Well, she's perfect, as we mentioned earlier. <laughs> but I try to read two or three a month. And one that stuck out to me recently was Ray Dalio's Principles. I really like that book. A book I gift often is How to Become CEO by Jeffrey Fox. It's a little bit dated. It was written probably 20 or 30 years ago. So don't be, turn your nose up when he says, bring a binder clip on the plane to do your expense reports. (laughs) (laughs) People at Divi are just like, oh my gosh, I'm shuddering right now. (laughs) it's a good way to keep in focus what you want to keep in focus. So those are two books that I typically recommend. Currently, I'm in a book club for our work and we're reading Necromancer, which is a science fiction book. I'm not quite as much into it as I think other people are. But (laughs) (laughs) But you're persevering. (laughs) We're persevering. There we go. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And hope to see you soon in Austin, Texas. Absolutely. Or up in Salt Lake. Yes, either one. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chad. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe using your favorite podcast player and be sure to give us a rating and review. You could check out more of our content at eccles.link slash business buzz. Until next time, go Utes.